Joshua 20 and 2. It says, speak to the children of Israel, saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. Now, you can read about a little here and there of the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. Exodus 21 and more in uh, Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 4, and then Joshua 20. But today I feel it's important for us to take a closer look at these six cities as I speak to you about a city of refuge. Everyone say a city of refuge. In Joshua's day, it was the accepted practice that if a family member was unintentionally killed, if manslaughter was committed, they were permitted to take the life of the one responsible for their family member's death. The Bible gives us a few examples. If a man is in the woods and he's chopping down a tree with a friend and the axe head comes off and it strikes the one that he is chopping wood down with and it kills him, he would be guilty. If someone threw something at someone unintentionally and it hits another person, if somebody accidentally dropped a huge stone on someone and in each of these cases the other person dies, the one at fault, the one who committed manslaughter in each of these instances was referenced as the manslayer or the slayer. Once again, in the Old Testament, the family of the person who passed away, they would be allowed, and in some cases, they would be expected to become the avenger of blood. And in return, they would take the life of the manslayer in retribution. I can only imagine the emotional turmoil that the manslayer experienced. It was unintentional. And they must now have been overwhelmed with guilt, knowing that their actions took the life of another. But then another sickening realization would set in. Fear would overwhelm them because now an avenger of blood would soon be pursuing them. The manslayer would stop whatever they were doing and immediately they would flee to the nearest city of refuge. If the slayer safely made it to a city of refuge, they could confess and explain the circumstances to the elders of the city and they would ensure a fair trial took place. And if the elders were convinced, then the slayer was welcomed into the city and they would be protected from the avenger of blood. Now, safe and secure, the manslayer would remain there for life or until, the Bible says, the high priest of the city would die. And the death of the high priest would symbolically atone for the actions of the manslayer and he would be free with no fear of the avenger of blood. Wow, what... A difficult time, complicated time to be alive. But church, even now, we live in a fallen world. Amen? Full of sin, full of mistakes, full of pain, full of fear. There are people dying, there are others hurting, and they are searching for a place to run to. 
They are looking for a place of escape from the stress and the anxieties of life. They are looking for a place to get answers. They're looking for a place to feel welcomed and loved. They are looking for a place to feel safe and secure. And they may not know it yet, but they are searching for a city of refuge that was designed by God. And I'm here today to go on record to say that I know of such a place. Amen. I know of a place where they can find healing and where they can find hope. Amen. Where someone can find deliverance and redemption. That place is the church of the living God. A city that is set up on a hill. And the reason why this city is different from the rest is because of our king, the high priest. And he's not just any king. He is the king of kings. Amen? And he is the Lord of lords. He is the only and one wise God. He is the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the one who formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He is the one who can either split the sea or calm it on any given day. So hear me today, no matter the reason you may be searching or pursuing a city of refuge, we have a God who can provide for your every need. Amen? He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. How many of you can testify that at one point in your life when you needed a city of refuge, you found such a place. You found a place of love. You found a place of rescue, of refuge, of mercy and grace. Amen. God, we thank you for a city of refuge. Amen. And a process of redemption and salvation. As I was praying and preparing for this message, I began to look a little deeper into the cities of refuge. And I found that not only did God explain the purpose of the city of refuge to those who were pursuing it, but he also gave specific instructions to his people who were a part of the city of refuge. And the first thing that we most notice when we read about the city of refuge is that they were not just for the religious elite. They were not just for people of God. They weren't just for people who had their lives already together. No, Numbers 35, 15 tells us that these cities are for the protection of Israelites, for foreigners living among you and traveling merchants. Anyone, everybody say, anyone who accidentally kills somebody could flee there for safety. And as a church, we must never forget that this city of refuge is open to all people. Amen. The church and the precious gospel of Jesus Christ is for whosoever will. And we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But we're reminded in verse 39, For the promise, it's to you, 
the believers, it's to your children, but it's to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. So no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you look like, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, the doors of this church will always be open to all. Preaching to Cornelius household, Peter said in Acts 10, 34, I see very clearly that God, he shows no favoritism. Amen. Aren't you thankful the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone? That God's no respecter of persons? That there was room in the city of refuge when you were at your lowest point? When you and your world was falling apart all around you and your family was falling apart, that you had a place. There was a church where you could experience the love and the mercy and compassion and grace of God. The city of refuge is for all. The second detail that I want to point out is that no matter where the manslayer found himself in need, there was always a city of refuge that was easily accessible. God commanded that these three cities would be strategically located on each side of the Jordan River. In the east were Bezir, Ramoth, and Golan. And then on the west of the Jordan were Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron, or Hebron. What's amazing about these locations where God specifically commanded them to be is as you study it out, no one would be more than a day's journey from anywhere in Israel, ensuring that in their greatest time of need, they would be easily accessible to all. And for those in their need, a city of refuge, I want to remind you it's the responsibility of the church to ensure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not out of reach. Amen? That's why the church is told in Acts 1-8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then Samaria, and to the end of the earth. I'm so thankful that we are a part of this organization, the United Pentecostal Church International, who believes that we should take the whole gospel to the whole world. That's why we evangelize. That's why we've taken time every year to support causes like Move the Mission. Amen? That's why we partner with home missionaries and global missionaries around the world. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. If we truly believe that the apostolic church is a city of refuge, we will give like never before. We will sacrifice like never before. We will go wherever the Lord may send us. We will do whatever it takes to make sure this precious gospel of Jesus Christ is easily accessible to those in need. The next important detail that the people of God were instructed to do was to post signs for those in need. They were to promote to the cities of refuge signs bearing directions in the name 
Miklat, which would mean refuge. They were strategically posted everywhere for somebody in that time of need. Somebody who was maybe devastated or disoriented by the struggle that they were in and the trauma and the trial of their life. They would have clear signs there trying to point them to the city of refuge. And there is no greater responsibility of those who bear the name of Jesus Christ than to promote the name of Jesus to others. Matthew 5, 14 through 6, he says, you're a light of the world and you're a city. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and they put it under a basket, but it's up on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Collectively, we are the body of Christ. We are the church of the living God. We are that city of refuge. But it's God's desire that we're not hidden to those in need. That we're supposed to be in a prominent place, like a sign, like a living billboard, walking, promoting Jesus Christ wherever we go. Romans 10, 14 says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Every day we are surrounded in metro Atlanta by 6 million people. Many who are struggling And they're searching for a city of refuge. And I pray that as a church we'd be filled with great compassion and an awareness of their needs. I pray that when they come in contact with a spirit-filled believer that they would feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And that your light would so shine before them. And with our words and with our actions we would promote a city of refuge and we would direct them. To Jesus. As I read further, it was clear to see God wanted His church. He wanted His people to play an active role in preparing that city of refuge. And one part of that was preparing the roads that would lead to the city of refuge. While the condition of the roads in those ancient days could often be found in rough and primitive condition, the roads that would lead to the cities of refuge were instructed to be kept in pristine condition at all times. Word of God is amazing. These roads to the city of refuge were instructed to be 32 cubits wide, which was twice the size of the average road. The goal was that somebody who was fleeing to a city of refuge could do so as unhindered as possible. There would be no point in promoting the cities of refuge if the roads were impassable. Imagine somebody running for their life. They're following the signs that have been promoted down the road to the city of refuge. But then they encounter a pothole. And then they find an obstacle one after another and a hindrance one after another. 
What a powerful message that God was sending to his people concerning the city of refuge. Yes, we should do our best to witness, to promote, to reach, and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our church is a city of refuge. But then God's people should make sure that by the way that we live, by the way that we act, by the way that we treat others, does not become a hindrance. Amen? Or an obstacle to somebody on their way to the city of refuge. The way to Jesus Christ should be kept clear at all times. John the Baptist showed that true believers that they are road workers maintaining the highway to our king. He passionately preached in Luke 3, 4 through 5. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth. In Mark chapter 2, we find a few friends who are attempting to get their crippled friend to see Jesus. As the Bible describes to the city of refuge. But they cannot because there's a crowd of people. Their people were in the way. Believers, some religious scribes in the way. And they literally have to rip open the roof and lower a man down to be healed by Jesus. Luke 19, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, he sought to see Jesus, but he could not because of the crowd of people that were in the way. So he had to climb up a sycamore tree just to see Jesus. I'm so thankful that we're a part of such an incredible church. A local church who's more focused on making a way for others to see Jesus than getting in the way of those in need of Jesus. We are called to do whatever it takes to prepare the way. We are called to make the path straight. So my fellow residents of the city of refuge, let us do everything in our power to assist those who knew Jesus. When those in need approach the city of refuge, it's so important, church. They walk through these doors that they feel the love of Jesus Christ, that they know that they are welcome, that they know that no matter who they are, that all are welcome. When they search for a city of refuge, I pray that we would not miss an opportunity to promote Jesus. And when they finally take that decision, that step of faith, we make sure that that city of refuge is accessible. And we do everything in our power to prepare the way. Because after all, that's what this local church, this city of refuge is all about. Our mission is to lead people to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and develop them into fully devoted followers of Him. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, For we do not preach ourselves. It's not about us. But Christ Jesus, the Lord. Because just as a city of refuge had a high priest, we too have a high priest. Hebrews 7, 23, the 25 says, There were many priests under that old system, like in the Old Testament. For death prevented them from remaining in office. Seems to have that effect on most people. Verse 24. But because Jesus 
He lives forever, amen? His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And I'm so thankful that in this city of refuge, the church, we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is able to save those who come to him. He became the sacrifice for our sins when he died on the cross. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Not only is he able to save, but he's able to supply your every need. Psalms 46 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in time of trouble. As wonderful as the city of refuge was and what it represents to us today, let us not forget the reason for its existence. That was to save and to protect the guilty from the avenger of blood. We may not be physically pursued by an avenger today, but we are being pursued by a spiritual accuser. After Satan was cast from heaven, destined for an eternity in the lake of fire, His passion and pursuit became to steal, to kill, and to destroy the creation of God. The Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's pursuing you. He walks about like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. Satan is constantly on the hunt, pursuing all humanity. He's constantly looking for an opportunity to draw blood, looking for a way to inflict guilt, shame, and death. Romans 12, 10 says, And Satan, the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night. He doesn't stop his pursuit. In that Old Testament context, the original cities of refuge were for the innocent who were being pursued. But our city of refuge is for the guilty. We are all guilty. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the ultimate result of our sin will ultimately be death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is very clear that all are in need of a city of refuge. And all are in need of saving. Our only hope is to get to the city of refuge. Our only hope is to find Jesus, the one with the only name under heaven, among men whereby we must be saved. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous, they run to it. And are safe. Yes, we have a great adversary in the city of in the city of refuge. Excuse me. We have a great adversary. But in our city of refuge, we have an even greater advocate in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6:18 says, So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Jesus Christ is our high priest. He is our advocate. He is our refuge and 
our strength. He is our safety and he is our salvation. And to those in need today, I plead with you, run to the city of refuge. Amen. To those being pursued by the adversary, I challenge you, run to hope, run to help. Amen. That Old Testament slayer. That one who was guilty, they understood the gravity of the situation. It was a matter of life and death. Note the sense of urgency that the slayer displayed. The Bible tells us that the slayer, that they would not casually walk or take their time, but they would run to the city of refuge. They would flee for safety. Time, church, is of the essence when a blood avenger is coming for you. And I pray that somebody listening to this message today would respond to the word of God with that same sense of urgency. Only eternity will reveal the multitudes of lost men and women who might have been saved had they responded to the call of Jesus Christ when it first rang in their hearts. But tragically, many allow the word of God and the voice of the Holy Spirit to become dim and faint. Others who head down that road or they're in the city of refuge, they become distracted or discouraged by the obstacles in the way and they fall to the wayside. In Acts 8, the Spirit of God spoke to Philip, supposed to meet this Ethiopian eunuch, and he preached Jesus to him. But after hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there was hope, in a city of refuge, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't say, okay, let me think about it on the remainder of my drive. Let me get home and I'm going to talk to my family about it. No, just like the slayer who was being chased by the avenger of blood, he knew that what he heard dictated an immediate response. So he said, it is urgent that I make my salvation secure. I'm not waiting another minute. I'm not going down the road of life, not one more mile. Acts 8, 36, and now they went down the road. They came to water, and the eunuch said, Hey, see, right here, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What hinders me from entering that city of refuge? Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that command, he commanded that chariot. It stood still, and they went down in the water, and he was baptized in Jesus' name. I pray that someone here today would realize the accuser of the brethren, the devil, that roaring lion, he's hot on your trail. And he's after blood. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy your life, your family, your marriage, your future. But hear me today, there is a city of refuge. Today, you can find safety and salvation in Jesus Christ. Today, you can find healing you can find hope. Today, you can find refuge. And you can find strength. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, we read of an ongoing conflict between Saul's family in Israel and David and Judah. Abner was the commander of Saul's army. And Joab was the commander of David's army. One day... The two opposing troops, they met at the pool of Gibeon. After a fierce battle followed that day, Abner and the men of Israel 
were defeated by the forces of David led by Joab. Joab's brother, Hazael, who the Bible said could run like a gazelle. He began to chase and he began to relentlessly pursue Abner. When Abner saw him, he said, is that you, Hazael? He said, go fight somebody else. But Hazael kept coming. Abner shouted, he said, get away from here. I don't want to kill you. He said, how could I ever face your brother again? But he refused to turn back. The Bible says Abner, he thrust his spear through Hazael's stomach, and he stumbled to the ground, and he died. When Joab, his brother, found out, he set out after Abner. As a blood avenger. For a season, Joab paused his pursuit. And as time passed, a series of events unfolded. Abner had a change of heart, of loyalties. He made a solemn pact, helped turn Israel over to David. Things seemed to be changing for Abner's life. But there was still a blood avenger walking about, lurking in the shadows. One day Abner met King David. After Abner left, Joab arrived. He found out that Abner was near. He acted quickly and he sent a messenger to bring Abner back. I'm not sure what message Joab sent to Abner that convinced him to return. But when Abner arrived back at the city, Joab met him at the gateway of the city. Joab took him aside as if to speak with him privately. There he drew his blade and he plunged it deep into the stomach of Abner. And there Abner died. And Joab, he settled the score. Second Samuel chapter 3 tells us that Joab killed as a revenge for his brother Ahazahel. But also... The most tragic part of the story, it's shown. Within the text, the location where Abner was killed is revealed. His blood was spilled at the gates of a city just west of the Jordan River. It wasn't just any city. The Bible tells us that Abner died at the gates of Hebron. Just an arm's length away from one of the cities of refuge. I can't help but wonder why Abner, why didn't you seek refuge in the city of Hebron or another city of refuge? Was it because of the tension, the conflict with the people of Israel and Judah? Was Abner just too confident in his own abilities? Was he content? Was he careless? Did he not realize the gravity of the situation that he was in? Whatever his reason for not finding refuge, it was a decision that he regretted as he took his last breath. Numbers 35, 26-7 says, But if the slayer ever leaves the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger finds him outside the city and kills him, it will not be considered murder. 
Verse 28 says, the slayer, he should have stayed inside the city of refuge. I'm sure there are many reasons why some people don't pursue a city of refuge for church. Many reasons why others may not stay apart of a city of refuge. But I promise you, no matter how discouraged, no matter how tempted, it's not worth leaving the city of refuge. It's not worth abandoning your pursuit of a city of refuge. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the voice of the accuser. There's a blood avenger out there. There's a great adversary. And no matter how much he convinces you or entices you, his plan always ends with regret. It always ends with death. Just as the cities of refuge were always in close proximity for the slayer to run towards, I want to remind the church today again that Jesus Christ is here today. In fact, he stated in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door, at the gates of the sea. I'm knocking. He said, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus is here right now. And he's just an arm's length 